Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by Andy Burke to talk about coding careers. Andy, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, David. Of course. So for folks who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, I'm a multi-time CTO uh, in sort of web startup land. Um, before that, I spent time in the video game industry. Uh, and before that, I was uh, kind of came up as a sysadmin. Um, so Awesome. So you came more from the, yeah, the systems side. I feel like uh, different people come to, to development from different directions. I, I actually went to school once upon a time for graphic design. And so I came in much more through the, the front end, which in a lot of ways I feel like is the the opposite direction. Yeah. Um, I mean, I went to school. Yeah. I think that it's interesting because it is completely opposite. I went to school for computer science, went to sysad, you know, was a sysadmin, worked my way through school that way. Um, but it's, it's always interesting to me to hear the different ways that people can come to this profession, um, and still, you know, find success and, uh, bring a different perspective. Yeah. So what are you, uh, what are you working on these days? So we just, uh, uh, my co-founder and I just closed a pre-seed round. Uh, we're about to dive in on a new thing. Uh, wow, I don't want to go. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I don't want to go in too deep, but it's it's a, it's another fintech. Uh, I've spent the past five years or so in in financial technology, um, and so we're gonna hopefully we'll see how quickly we can go, uh, but probably you know hear more about it at the end of the year, Q1. Kind okay, of. awesome. Uh, and so yeah, so when you in fintech. You know, I I kind of always imagine uh, pretty serious back end systems, a lot of number crunching and everything. Is that is that kind of the the what you're you're doing day to day on the on the technical side? Sure. Um, I mean, it can vary. Uh, a lot of it depends on you know you have a lot of existing players. Uh, you've got banks. You've got um, existing older technology companies, and then sort of like new startup style things. And, uh, I mean, there's a whole conversation around FinTech and how <laughs> FinTech, uh, works and, and the challenges there. Um, but you have to, at the least you have to have, yeah, some, some relatively, uh, you know, serious experience on the back end because, you know, at the end of the day, you are dealing with money, uh, and moving money around. Um, and e there are providers that can make that, you know, if you really aren't comfortable doing that, then there are some providers to work with, but they can be pricey and things like that. So if you are going to do a lot of things yourself, um, you know, I think things to focus on are things like testing. Um, and you know, there are lessons that you learn things like never deal with money and floating point. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, and even that is, you know, not necessarily a hard and fast rule, but it is the best thing for someone who's newer to working with it uh, to do is, you know, work in integers and, you know, the smallest indivisible uh, unit of money, like a cent uh, mm -hmm. yeah, versus a sense. floating point. Yeah. How did you get into fintech originally? Um, I had been, uh, I'd always, I had this idea of doing, um, what's interesting is now there's a company called privacy.com that does like virtual card numbers. Um, and years before they existed, I kind of got interested in that. Actually, it's because uh Sony got hacked a number of years ago. Their PlayStation network got hacked and, you know, my debit card was in there. Uh, oh, wow. And 
I was like, oh, this was annoying. And couldn't we do, you know, couldn't I have virtual cards for each vendor and blah, blah, blah. And so I actually have um, AngelList uh, filters set up that will, you know, email me a daily digest of, uh, you know, new companies in LA, companies that are funded in LA. Uh, and this one came through called Float uh, that was talking about a credit card. And so I kind of ping them, not even really looking for a job, uh, just because I was like, oh, the, you know, this is interesting. And, and this is an area that I'm interested in. And, you know, I'm in the area I do, you know, I'm a CTO, if you guys want to talk, um, whatnot. And so then I, they were like, sure, we'd love to talk and um, went in and talked to them and just, it ended up being a really good fit. And so I left my position that I was in before that um, and went over there. And, you know, we, we met with uh, some success, but also some, some difficult conditions that are common in fintech. And so that didn't work out in the end uh, as a company, but I learned an awful lot. Um, and, uh, and you know, decided to keep, keep going. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the interesting thing is, it's like, I have a very much like a love hate relationship with fintech. There are really, really interesting problems that affect a lot of people. Um, at the same time, there is, uh, a lot of just stuff that is not that fun to deal with because you have these big entrenched players that have been around for, in some cases, literally like more than a hundred years. Um, and that can be extremely, uh, difficult to deal with if you are used to being a high paced developer, uh, you know, where, um, is that like regulatory and compliance issues and, and just the big players are much better equipped to deal with those? Um, it's everything from regulatory and, I mean, regulatory and compliance is, is a big deal. Um, but a lot of it is just like, you're a big bank. You've been around for a hundred years. You have the customers and your back end. you, you know, the way to interact with it is via FTP and mm -hmm. that's it. And, you know, why should I change? Like, you know, I've got, <laughs> right. I've got a hundred yeah. million customers. Like you, you have yeah. no one, right? Like I, right. FTP what's, me the file in it for want, me. if you want to play. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting mix. And I think that it's an exciting time. And part of what keeps me probably in that particular segment is that things are starting to change. Um, there are more and more companies that are coming in. There are more what are called neo, neo banks, right? Like small, new, mm -hmm. agile um, banks that are coming online. Uh, and it's sort of an exciting time where I think that you can have an outsized impact. Um, and some of the big players are starting to realize that and they're more willing to come to the table um, and work with you because they can see that they need to uh, they need to change. They can't just sit on you know their their history and their huge customer base. That's interesting. So it sounds like the the just this sector uh, is at a pretty pretty good point. I don't know if it's it's a full on inflection point, but it sounds like things are easing up and there's likely to be a lot of a lot of growth there. Do you think that this is you know for an aspiring dev who is a little bit more financially minded is that is that a decent place for a junior dev to more or less start out or have an early career in? Yeah, I think, I think it could be, uh, I think that it, um, you know, uh, I think it depends on the position, right. Um, you know, there is a, uh, and I, and in some ways I think this is good. There is a, um, particular import in FinTech given to people who have some experience in the space, right. Mm -hmm. Um, because there are a lot of things like you talked about, like regulatory things and, uh, existing APIs and things like that. However, 
you know, being a junior uh, and thinking about entering, I think that there's also a lot of, um, you know, a lot to recommend it in terms of, uh, you know, there are a lot of new things that you can learn um, that are new for both the junior dev, but also for the existing people in the industry because new stuff is coming online. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, it's sort of like that split. It's like on one hand, there is all of this sort of, I don't know, what is it? it? Like implicit knowledge of just such a long history that's a little bit opaque to outsiders. But the split is, it sounds like there's also a lot of stuff that's new that nobody knows. And so a junior is on equal footing. Yeah, um, I think that that's, that's true. But then the advice I would also give is, you know, if you are a junior dev and you do look to go into fintech, you know, just consider that a lot of times when people tell you, you know, this works a certain way, there's often a reason for it. <laughs> in, in fintech. I mean, that's true broadly. Yeah, I was going to say that sounds pretty universal. Yeah, that's pretty universal. But I would also say in particular, that is kind of a thing in fintech because, you know, it will be something where it's like, well, it turns out that, you know, these files are moved from, you know, an old VAX machine that's been running since, you know, 1978. And, <laughs> you know, and that's just how it is. And, and you know, that that is something that can be, uh, you know, as a junior where you don't have as much context uh, and understanding of the impact of, you know, legacy systems, that can be a real thing, uh, especially in fintech. Yeah. And you've worked in different industries. I think you already brought up that you were in uh, game development for a while, mm-hmm. which I, I found was so cool. Uh, I think you were, you worked on, it was like Insomniac, Ratchet and Clank. Was yeah. that one of the ones? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, Insomniac is a great company. Um, I learned a huge amount working in the game industry, not just at Insomniac, but at a couple of other companies as well. Um, you know, the pace of development in the games industry is extremely high. Um, and I think that uh, getting used to that and understanding, uh, you know, I think the biggest understanding that you need to come out of something like that with is, and that would be broadly applicable um is to really be able to listen to, you know, what are the problem, what's the problem we're trying to solve, and then identify the most core pieces that you need to figure out first so that you can iterate on them uh, and have high pace and be able to ignore until later the details and things that, that matter less to the core problem. Um, uh, and in video games, like you learn quickly that, you know, you either sink or swim uh, in terms of being able to do that. Uh, I mean, there's also problems with the game industry in particular. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask: is is would you would you recommend uh, an aspiring dev go into games? Because I know, and it's probably like a, a trope at this point, but you know, it tends to be a lot of you know aspiring developers are also really into computer and, and video games. And so I imagine there's a lot of overlap, but it, do you, would you consider that a particularly good sector? Uh, I would. <laughs> <laughs> Choosing your words carefully now. Well, yeah. Um, I think that it, I think it depends. I think that if I had, you know, to, to make a half joking response, I would wait until there's unionization. Hmm. Okay. Right. Um, the video game industry has it's has, I would say, in some ways, like more than its fair share of problems. Um, that's a function of both. It's a function of a few things. It's how many people want to work in that industry. It's the history of the industry and it's the audience around the industry um, that leads to 
it being, I think, a very challenging place if you are not uh, a, you know, just to be completely honest, a, a straight white male, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think that that's something that needs to be addressed and changed in that industry. Um, not just that industry either, but but in particular that industry, like I said, it, it's it's like a the perfect storm of making it really, really hard if you are, uh, you know, um, a traditionally underrepresented yeah. uh, person. Uh, it's so, interesting. I mean, I, I would have even thought it, it has a lot of challenges, even if you, you were a straight white guy, just what I've heard. It does. I mean, that's, that's the thing is, you know, the, the worst part of that industry is how many young, and I, you know, I don't mean this in a bad way, but naive developers want to work in that industry. And so they're willing to take low wages, um, and work really long hours um, and that that has a knock-on effect throughout the entire industry in terms of, um, you know, suppressing wages and, and things like that. Because, I mean, it, you know, just to be completely blunt, it's like, okay, I've got this senior person who's been with us for a long time and they cost me X. I can hire uh, three uh, junior devs out of college for the same price and just hope that one out of three works out, right? Mm-hmm. And and they're going to be younger and they're going to put in a lot more hours. So, bye-bye senior person here, you know, uh, here is this sort of like grist mill of, you know, developers just willing to kind of line up. Um, and that, that leads to some problems. Um, and it ties into just being like such a popular, um, you know, industry in a way in that like people hear about these games, they know the games that that can be nice. It can be really, really nice to work on something where the entire country, will be at least aware of what you've done. Um, and so, you know, I think that the industry understands that there are some of these problems and is trying to work through them. Um, and I'm hopeful uh, that things can improve. Um, but yeah, I, you know, so to kind of swing back and answer your question, would I recommend it? I, I would with some big grains of salt, right? Like that, <laughs> uh, you know, it can be extremely, you know, gr- extremely good, experience to gather, but just, it can be extremely challenging and, and it really depends on, you know, who you are and what you're looking for and what you're willing to deal with. And if that's what you want to do long-term or just, you know, mm-hmm. uh, shorter term and, and things like that. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I often view, um, games as similar to Hollywood or, you know, the entertainment industry and, mm-hmm. you know, unsurprisingly they're, they're, related in in a number of ways but you know so many people move to la to try to become an actor or something like that and um it's hard right i mean i think it always comes down to supply and demand and so if you're if you're at one of these game studios and you're you're very successful and you're trying to hire and you have a lot of people who are just really vying for these positions and you know that if whatever, if someone doesn't work out, you could easily replace them. I think it, it definitely skews things in probably not a particularly good way for the uh, developer. Um, I personally have always loved the idea of working in video games, but have just kind of recognized that that's not always particularly lucrative or you don't particularly get treated well. And, you know, there's certain things that I've heard about these cycles of ramping up really hard before release and then letting everyone go. I imagine that's, that's much more 
you know, contract work type thing. But um, those types of those types of patterns have always been, uh, you know, a little bit more of a turnoff for me. And I figured, you know, once once I have, uh, you know, enough money that that I don't really doesn't really matter what I work on. I always imagine that that working on games for a hobby could be fun, but I wouldn't really want to uh, depend on it. Personally. Yeah, I would doing it as a hobby, I think, is really cool. I think that um, there's a lot that you could learn, even, you know, to kind of swing this back to the idea of like a junior dev, um, you know, games can be, a, you know, one of the most important things to do when you are a junior is to just program, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, the more you program, the better, you know, the more experience you'll have, you'll understand frameworks better um, and whatnot. But the problem can often be finding a problem to work on that is going to be motivating um, that isn't just a chore, Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a game uh, can be a great uh, little side project for you to work on or something that can be motivating for you to, when you are a junior to, you know, work on those lines of code. Um, and, you know, similarly along those lines, even if, you know, I would tend to say, like, even if you don't want to go into games, again, that can still be fun if that's something that you find motivating. And then to, you know, speak a little bit more t- to you, David, is like, um, you know, I really do hope and I think that maybe there is a change coming in the industry as well where I would tend to say there are a lot more sort of like mid to small developers now than there were and that people's mileage may vary there because, mm-hmm. you know, my experience was mostly at, at AAA, you know, larger developers. And, and so I can't speak as much to, um, you know, smaller developers and in, in the experience there and it may be different. Mm. That's that's interesting talking about the uh the side project. Um I I've, I've heard uh someone say that there's there's pretty much two ways of making money. You can save someone time or help them waste time. Mm-hmm. And entertainment obviously is is that, you know, wasting time camp. Now, that's a pretty flippant way of of addressing gigantic industries. There's like a lot of art and creativity and other things that go into it. But I would say personally, I always try and work on things more in the the first camp, like more productivity, things that, that businesses will pay for, um, you know, because it's going to save them time or, or make them make them money. Uh, but the side project part, you know, that that's kind of different, right? So on one side, you're looking for, okay, where do I want to work? And what's that? you know, what's that engine? How does, how does the money flow in that situation? How does that input impact my livelihood? But having a side project is unlinked from that. And I think games give you such a rich space to, to play in. Um, I built a, like a small game engine type thing in react, uh, just for fun. It was actually Mm -hmm. like a Christmas present from my wife, like a thing where she walks around and tries to find me. Cool. And um, just the the amount of things that you can build into that and play with and get experience with um, is it's huge. I mean, you can you can spend time trying to tune the performance. Uh, performance is always like a big thing in games. I mean, a lot of people might even uh think that a lot of the hardware improvements that we've seen over the years have really been pushed by gaming and so mm-hmm. performance is really tied in there but also visual programming and uh, or i mean just making programming to get things looking particularly cool and interesting is kind of related to that but also very creative and artistic and then 
the the logic and everything about enforcing the rules of the game and reacting to user or you know gamer input is just there's so many interesting problems that you can sink your teeth into i think it's a an excellent um it's an excellent side project and then i i talk about this uh, probably a lot at this point but the the feedback loop when you're building something for yourself that becomes really tight if you are your own user then there isn't a long delay between the time that you make something or try something out and the time where you get to to use it and see if there's anything wrong or any improvements. And the shorter that feedback uh, loop is, or the tighter that feedback loop, the the faster uh, you learn, which I think is is hugely important. And and that iteration that you can get with games is is really really good compared to a lot of other other things you can do. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think that's true as a side project, but to be honest, that iteration loop is the core problem of the games industry. Oh, like especially as you get into bigger developers, mm. that is <laughs> I mean it's funny, like that that is the core of, you know, game development and as you get into big games, the pro- challenges become, well, our asset tree is, you know, 300 gigabytes and we need to do a build and, you know, someone needs to update a character amount. Sorry, I've got my daughter in yeah, the background. No um, someone, uh, you know, has to do a, uh, you know, they make a change. How long does it take them to get that change into the game so that they can see it? Um, and uh, sorry, she's being put down for a nap. Um, <laughs> All good. And she's upset. Um, the uh, That's the core problem. But I think, you know, in a side project, you know, it's great because you generally aren't dealing with a like, huge data sizes and things like that. So you're right that that, uh, loop can become fast and that is good for you to gain experience because you are constantly moving forward. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention that is nice about games, you know, you talked about performance. Um, and this is something that I recommend to, uh, anyone who is trying to, you know, move up in the industry is to have, you should endeavor to have at least a basic understanding of the entire stack. And when I say stack, I don't just mean, for instance, from a web perspective, like, oh, we're using JavaScript and we're using Postgres and whatnot. But I mean, all the way down, right? Like that this JavaScript is running on a VM, that VM runs on some machine at Amazon, that machine has lots of other VMs running on it. It's got, you know, processor and a lot of RAM and that processor has caches and, you know, they're all connected to the network and the network, you know, operates at this speed. And, uh, you know, or we're on a low tier instance and the network can get throttled. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the more that you can have, you know, uh, at least a rough understanding of the, um, the more that you can have an understanding of the entire stack, the, the better able you will be to handle various problems that will arise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I mean, you were joking you know, you and I have joked in the past about how much I like debuggers, right? Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, that for me is very much something that I learned in the games industry um, and beyond just, uh, you know, the better your understanding of the entirety of, of the system, uh, the better you'll be able to both make it perform and uh, be able to figure out what's going wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, so, Going back to, okay, so you've been in fintech, you've been in game development, a lot of these situations, I mean, I imagine that you, you, uh, you know, applied for a job. How, 
Yeah, curious, like how different were those industries in terms of interview questions, how how the process was? Um, the game industry, I think, is similar uh, in some ways to big tech companies uh, in that you, at least, you know, in the time that I was uh, coming up, um, you would, you know, you would often have these sort of like um, whiteboard, high pressure, uh, you know, trivia style interviews um you know in the games industry a lot of it is like where they, where they want to get a deep understanding of how resistant you are to anxiety yeah yeah um you know and, and similarly like that is another thing that leads to bias in in who people hire right because you know who who tends to be the most confident in those situations well the people that were raised certain ways and like yeah. with certain backgrounds and stuff so um you know, I, I am hopeful that things are changing. Um, I, I know that in the web uh, and startup world, there is a lot more discussion and understanding of like, hey, these interviews aren't testing for what we really want. Um, but I think that, you know, there's a huge amount of inertia, uh, both in, you know, big tech companies and the video game industry. And so it will take some time uh, to overcome that. Um, but, you know, the people that I know uh, who are still in that industry and hiring uh, positions, um, they, you know, they're, they're aware. So I, I think it's possible to find, you know, places where, um, you know, that, that interview process is not about, you know, so, um, mm-hmm. so nerve wracking. Do you um, remember, do you remember what your interview process was like? Um, well, I, I mean, I guess I do, but, um, <laughs> but I mean, I think, I think back and, you know, an interesting thing, I think that actually made it such that I was a little bit more prepared to be in the industry. And then, just to be honest, like this is sort of true everywhere. It's just like, I had a friend who went into the industry and he passed my name on. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is just helpful. Right. So Mm -hmm. as, you know, as disappointing as that can be to hear, that can be very, very helpful. The second thing is, is that, um, but I'll say the flip side of that is I hadn't really, I was not one of those people who really, really wanted to work in games. Mm -hmm. Um, to me when he was like, Oh, come work with me here. I was like, okay, sure, I won't have to wear like a shirt and tie to, to work. <laughs> so that sounds like it could be cool. Um, and so I went in with a very like, um, you know, I, I wasn't super, you know, I think a lot of people will approach interviews in a way that they're super nervous, right? Because mm-hmm. they really, really want the job. And it's funny, that guy who referred me, I mean, he was just talking on Twitter the other day about how nervous he gets. Um, and I mean, this is a guy who's been a CTO and, and has worked at some you know, very major tech companies and, you know, still talks about how he gets nervous with the interview if he really wants the job. Um, and, you know, so one of the things that I try to do, um, you know, that I think helped me then was, you know, I didn't even know if I wanted the job. Right. Um, it was only after I went to the interview and saw what the place was like and whatnot that I was like, yeah, actually, I really do want to work here. Um, and I, throughout my career, I think have tried to, um, to do that in interviews, which is to just really remember that not only are you being interviewed for the position, but you are interviewing them, mm-hmm. right? You are uh, deciding whether or not you want to work there. Um, and I know that that can um, be hard if you really know about the company uh, and you're a fan and you've heard of them and you feel like you really want to work there, but just realize that when you go into an interview, you're usually going to get some more realistic, non, you know, not just from the outside view of what that company is like. Um, and so that can be a way that you can help to, um, you know, sort of mitigate that nervousness that happens in an interview is just to remind yourself that as much as they're interviewing you, 
you are interviewing them. You're deciding whether or not you think this is a company that you could be happy at, uh, whether or not it's some place that you would be excited to go to work every day or whether or not, you know, it may look great from the outside, but it's, Hey, it turns out like, I don't think I would be happy there because of X. Um, mm -hmm. and that can be a way that you can kind of try to keep, uh, and, and in truth, that's how interviews should be. It should be sort of a level playing field. Both sides are deciding whether or not it makes sense to move forward. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, it's something that I noticed with a lot of aspiring devs is, is, sounds like they they they're so focused on the goal or that that milestone of getting a job in tech that i often hear many of them say like oh i you know i almost don't even care what it is i'm just trying to get my foot in the door do you think that even for a first gig it makes sense to be you know so um i guess distinct you know uh um uh, selective yeah i i do i think that it I mean, I think it's a weird way to think about it, but just to be honest, if you go in with that mindset of you're interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing you, you're more likely to get the job, mm -hmm. right? Because when you go in uh, and view it as just, uh, you know, they're deciding whether or not they want you, uh, you're less likely to be comfortable. You're less likely to put your best foot forward. You're less likely to um, show the kind of, uh, you know, value that you can bring to the company because you are just trying to please, right? Versus, uh, you know, being a little bit more open, a little bit more honest, uh, a little bit more yourself. Um, and people, interviewers can sense it, right? You know, I, I mean, I've been in tons. And, and I'll also say like, you know, from the more senior side, when you're hiring, one of the things that I try to do is and I realize I am not, you know, definitely the opposite of sort of the old like whiteboarding interview, but I really want candidates to be comfortable, right? Because mm -hmm. then, then you're going to start to find out like who they really are versus the face. I mean, we all put on a face when we go into uh, an interview, you want to put your best foot forward. Right. Um, but you know, both in truth, like the real value is if both sides were able to sort of be honest about, you know, what, what they're bringing to the table, um, because that's going to lead to the most, you know, high productive, uh, you know, relationships, um, Versus, you know, it turns out the company doesn't really work that way. Like you're not happy there or, you know, you you've misrepresented your experience level and, you know, we really needed a, you know, a senior here and you are too junior. Uh, and now we're in a bad situation where neither of us are happy, right? Yeah. The company's not happy because they're going to have to decide whether or not to let you go. You're not happy because you're about to be like, oh, right. Um, yeah, and so, I think that's that's kind of a tough, uh, kind of a tough pill to swallow, I, I think, for a lot of aspiring devs who who really want that first job where, you know, I do think it, it, it helps a lot to just try and be honest and to even let jobs disqualify you, um, you know, even if you could have... I don't know, put on a better face or, or faked it a little bit more until you, you made it, so to speak. Um, it, you're kind of looking for a good fit and, to to fake it a little bit more, you know, is it worth it or not? I, you know, it's tough for me. Like on, on one hand, I can imagine that, you know, you, you sort of put on a good show, you get hired and then maybe you're capable enough to figure it out, even though it, it's not a good fit. But on the other hand, I, I also really strongly agree with you, which is, look, if you took that job, then you didn't go interview somewhere else. You couldn't have been really honest and comfortable in that interview and then hired on someplace that would have been a way better fit. And you just closed off that possible future and you didn't know about it. 
Sure. I mean, it's, don't get me wrong. I, I know how nerve wracking it can be when you're junior and you don't have a job and rent is coming up. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, um, I know it sounds counterintuitive, right. But what I'm actually saying is like the more that you can go in there with the attitude of, I am interviewing you just as much as you're interviewing me, you are more likely to get the job. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't feel like it, but it, it levels that playing field. And the thing is, is a lot of times people do hire for how confident people are, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so you being able to distance yourself slightly and not go in with like, oh my God, I need this job, I need this job, will right. actually make you interview better. The other thing is make sure, when I say that you're interviewing them uh, as much as you're being interviewed, one of the key things there is, is don't undervalue what you've done, right? In terms of your, uh, whether it's, you know, whether you went to college for this, whether or not you went to a coding school or whether or not you're self-taught and you've done uh, a bunch of different projects, right? Um, there's nothing more, uh, I mean, I would say nothing more attractive as like a hiring manager when someone comes in and is excited and, and talking about the things that they've done. Um, you know, that is, you know, I, I just want to say like, one of the problems I think is like when you go in as a junior is you just think like, well, this company does this amazing stuff. And Mm -hmm. all I've ever done is, you know, this, this, like, you know, this little library that's used by, you know, just a handful of people or whatever, but man, like talk about that. Talk about how you created a, you know, a little library and, and yeah, it's only used by a handful of people, but it's been great to talk to the people who use it and gather that feedback and improve. And that is how you can have a, um, you know, a really positive interview is is when you kind of view it as like, hey, this, these are the things I've done and I own them and I'm I'm happy about them. And it's hard to to feel that way about something when you go in with a completely lopsided view of they're making the decision and everything is about what they think of me. Right. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. So when you're when you're as a hiring manager and you've been uh, interviewing, uh, you've already said you you do like to make people feel comfortable so that it's uh, I assume so it's it's more similar to what you get in the interview is what it would be like, um, working with this person, but what else do you look for? Um, I think a lot of it is, you know, um, obviously like experience and fit matter a lot. Right. So, um, you can, you know, there's, there's sometimes where unfortunately like a candidate will come in, um, and you know, you're like, Oh, I could totally see myself working with this person, but just unfortunately we need to have someone who has experience with X. Right. Uh, And so sometimes the thing is, is there's nothing wrong with you as a candidate. It's just literally you don't have. And when I say that, I mean, it can be experienced with a particular company, right? A particular third party company. And this happens a lot more in fintech maybe than other places. But like, you know, have you done credit reporting to the bureaus? Right. And if you haven't, like it just doesn't matter, you know, how how great of an engineer you are or, uh, you know, um, you just need the experience. So that's one of the things sometimes, and I realize like companies are often bad about this where they're, they won't list their real true requirements in job postings. And that can be extremely frustrating because you go into an interview, you know, and suddenly, uh, you know, they're talking about X that they just sort of expect you to have worked with. Um, and that's a failure on the company's part. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's a, a challenge. Um, but, interest, right? In that, like, you may not be complete, especially as I think about like more junior depths, right? Like you may not have all the experience, but if you can show me that you are able to, and this is mostly again, where I I would say like really value your own, you know, education and uh, 
path that you've taken and projects that you've worked on. Um, because, you know, seeing that you are interested and able to dig into a problem is, uh, is one of the things that I think really recommends someone, uh, you know, that you want to hire. Um, mm. so maybe it's not the most, uh, you know, sometimes it can be great to even talk about, and to some degree, like I've tried to structure my interviews to, to speak to this because I think that, um, it can be great to talk about times that you've tried something and failed. Mm. Right. Um, because if you can show Failing is learning, yeah. yeah, if you, if you can talk about, you know, um, what you, uh, what you learned from that experience and that you did learn from it, uh, you know, that's something that's, that you look for in an employee. Um, you know, I talk, tell people that at a very high level, my interview process is, you know, what's something that you worked on that went well and why, and then followed up by what's something you worked on that went poorly and why. I, and to be honest, I learn a lot more usually from the poorly one, but I don't like to lead with it because people get too, yeah, <laughs> too nervous. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so you lead with, you know, what, what, what's something that you're proud of that went well, talk about it. You know, when you hear someone, you should hopefully hear that excitement about what they're talking about, um, because it did go well and they liked it. And the, uh, last question that I'll do is actually a, um, usually a design exercise, not on necessarily a whiteboard, but working through a project. Um, but I specifically make sure that it's kind of a ridiculous thing. Mm. Like, uh, Hey, we want to figure out how to deploy webcams to monitor squirrel activity. Uh, right. And you, you, and you know, the reason to make it sort of ridiculous is, is twofold. One, it puts the candidate a little bit at ease to realize like, Hey, they can kind of spitball. Uh, and, um, you know, that there isn't really a right answer. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the second one is that, you know, I realized this actually working in the games industry because we, we would, you know, we, I had sort of a standardized interview that I would do. Um, and, one of the questions that I would ask at the end would be like, Hey, how would you solve this problem? And it happened to be a problem that our team had spent a lot of time on. Right. And mm -hmm. it really biased us mm -hmm. against, uh, you know, people who maybe had a novel approach or, uh, you know, were a little bit, uh, or not completely familiar. It just became, you know, well, how do you not know about this? But it was like, well, of course, you know, we didn't know about that when we started that project either, but now we do. Um, yeah. and okay. so, you know, making it a really a toy problem, um, you know, I think is very critical, like a truly toy problem and an ideally one that you haven't solved before in, in an interview with anyone else, uh, because it lets you come to it completely fresh, uh, from the interviewing side. Um, so, yeah, I like that. A, I like that a lot. So I got one more, uh, question for you, which is, let's say you were starting out today. I know this is, it's, it's a difficult, <laughs> difficult way to, to get the, the logic consistent on this. But if you were, if you were to, to starting out, you know, were to be starting out today, you just graduated from a code school. Like what would, what would you do? Like if you were looking for a job? Um, what would I do? I would be tempted. I mean, I guess the thing is, is with all the hindsight now, like I would be tempted to look at startups, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think that they're similar to the game industry in that the pace is very high, um, but they're a little bit, um, they're marginally better uh, in some ways than sort of the video game, uh, as I was talking about, kind of like grist mill. Um, and, and, you know, I want to be clear, like they are marginally better. They're <laughs> not, you know, uh, startups can have a lot of the same problems, sometimes even worse in some cases um, for, for people who are, you know, not, uh, you know, who are traditionally underrepresented so I think that that can be, uh, I don't want to minimize the difficulty there. Um, but I would be tempted to say that that would be a nice place to start because, 
you know, the startups are looking for, you know, people uh, who uh, can try different things and, uh, you know, move quickly and, and you can learn a lot. Uh, and sometimes they're willing to take bets on people that, you know, don't have as much experience because in a way that's sort of like the startup ethos, right, is, is taking bets on stuff that you don't know about. Um, and so that can, that would probably be, uh, you know, an interesting way to, to go at it, but then I'll also Mm -hmm. temper that and say that another way is to go to a big established company, right? Mm -hmm. Um, because they have a bit more process. You're going to, it's going to be a bit less sink or swim. Usually, um, you know, you're going to have, you're going to be part of a bigger team. Uh, you know, you're going to have potentially some opportunities for more mentorship, right. Uh, for people to, to give you the advice, um, so, you know, it, it kind of depends on like, I would say like what you, how you feel, right. If you want to dive in and you don't want a safety net and you're looking to go quickly and try and get that first job, you know, then maybe the startup, I think the startup route could be a good way to go. Um, if you are, you know, you really want to take it a bit slower, you need a little bit of security. You want a little bit more of a traditional kind of, uh, you know, ramp up in your career, I think then maybe a bigger established company would be the way to go. But then you had just have to realize that their hiring processes can be difficult, um, can be challenging. And, and in some ways, like it probably behooves you to really try and prepare for those. I mean, I know that there are actually, um, you know, there's tons of people's write-ups on how they, their interview processes went, it would be worth reading it, uh, you know, for those types of jobs. Um, so yeah, I, I think it kind of depends on, on, you know, the candidate and how they feel. Yeah. That's, uh, I've definitely worked, definitely worked at startups. I've definitely worked at big companies. Um, and yeah, I, I think, I think the way that you said it, I, I like it a lot. It, it might be difficult for an aspiring dev to know which one is a better fit, but if you are more of a self-directed want to have a hand in everything, a little bit of freedom to, to run and really test your limits, uh, a startup is going to feel a little bit better. Um, there's going to always be a million fires that we're, are going to need some creative way to be put out. And there's just a lot of different um, opportunities to to prove yourself. Uh, however, there isn't a lot of time. There isn't a lot of time for mentorship in particular. Uh, everyone's going to be racing around to do their own thing. And um, ideally, you are solving more problems than you're creating. However, uh, if you want that mentorship and you want a little bit more structure and time and attention and process uh, and and to a lot of extent, like maybe more people around, a big company can be a very safe place. Um, the downside, of course, is that you wind up working on either very trivial things, a very small part of some much larger system and your impact can feel very remote um, in in a lot of ways. So you got to pick your poison a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think that that those are the the two big ones. Um, yeah, I, I I think that that is exactly how things work. Um, you know what you laid out there, and I think it really is a question that you have to you know if you're the junior dev, um, you need to ask yourself like what what appeals to you the most, right? There's benefits to going both ways, but it kind of is like, are you okay with that sink or swim uh, versus are you okay with that, like, you know, working on a very small piece or feeling kind of like a, a cog in a giant machine? Um, 
and then deciding, you know, depending on which way you decide to go, then it's about preparing, uh, you know, for those types of interviews and, uh, you know, deciding and, and shooting and finding the right uh, companies to apply to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's also an interesting one, right? I mean, if, you know, a lot of developers may want to cast a wide net, but um, might be more more of a payoff to, to specialize a little bit and and narrow that that field. Um, I but- think. I think one thing to think about is is casting a wide net and then narrowing that, right? Like closing it down, right? Because mm. start wide, interview at a few different places, maybe that you don't, that are not your number one, right? Mm. So that you can get a little bit more comfortable, you can get a little bit more practice, um, and you know, try and schedule your, you know, really want to work places towards the, you know, later part of your interviews, right? Yeah, and that can also help along the whole you're interviewing them thing because Mm -hmm. you might be surprised, right? Where, uh, you know, you interview at some place that you don't think you really want to work. And then you, you know, you finally get to the end at the place that you really thought that you were in love with and you realize, Hey, that place that I didn't think I wanted to work actually is pretty great. Right. Um, Yeah. uh, And as long as you're, you know, not too far, uh, if you're trying to really stack your interviews like pretty quickly, uh, you know, hopefully you're not at a point where, you know, you've passed on that, on that first opportunity. Um, so, you know, it can be hard. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, when you're a junior and you need the paycheck, you don't have it nearly as much uh, flexibility as you get later in your career. Um, but if you can at, at all do that, I would tend to recommend that, um, you know, try and maybe you have like a, you try and do all of your interviews in a week or two uh, so that you still have the flexibility to say yes or no to someone early in the process. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good advice on, on maybe, uh, just getting experience with, uh, uh, companies in the beginning. And I mean, that's so true. I mean, by the time you get to a company that, that at least you think is your number one, it's really good to have, uh, things to compare it to. Yeah. There's this old, uh, mathematical, um, thing about, you know, how can you make a decision, uh, one way or the other, um, without having to, you know, sample everything. And the idea is you kind of, you want to like uh, look at like at least seven items and then, you know, the next one that you pick should be the one that's better than the previous seven, those first yeah, seven that you saw. Totally. Right. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing there is like, you have to do, you know, I would tend to say like, if I was a junior today starting out, right. Like, I guess a piece of advice that would be good because I didn't really have this would be like, you want to think about like interviewing with like 10 to 12 places at least. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, and I don't mean to say that in terms of like, you know, I would never advocate for like wasting a company's time. Like if you if you see no way that you would want to work at a company, then no, don't don't go interview there. But, you know, if it's like, oh, yeah, like I, you know, maybe. Right. I probably don't think that I want to do that, but I could see myself maybe doing that. I think that's OK. Right. Like you can go and talk to them and, uh, uh, you know, and that wouldn't be wasting either theirs or your time. Um, right. But, you know probably thinking like you want to do, uh, you know, at, at least a dozen, uh, interviews. I mean, that being said, you know, the other thing is like, you'll see on Reddit, these like data flows of like how people do like hundreds of companies mm-hmm. and then they end up with like two offers. Right. And I, mm-hmm. I can't help but think like that. That's a little bit too much of the numbers game, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, there's just no way. I don't think that you could reasonably look at say even a hundred companies, um, that would be places that you would honestly want to work. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there there's something to be said for um, I mean, it sounds silly, maybe, but like a short cover letter. Right. Like that 
is actually applicable to the company. And when I say short, I mean like literally like a few sentences that are like, yeah. Hey, like I see that you do X and you know, I like, you know, I, uh, you know, I feel like X could be exciting because of Y, right. Um, mm-hmm. a few sentences from someone sh- showing that they actually read the job description and whatnot goes a lot, uh, goes a long way as a hiring manager, right. That, that this isn't just someone who's like blanketing, uh, you know, everyone with their resume. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So can you identify, let's say 30 or 40 companies that you could be, you know, interested in, and then you're going to get a, you know, start down the interview process with 25% of them. I think that that is, you know, kind of reasonable. Yeah. That sounds really good. All right. Uh, this has been great. So Andy, where can people find out more about you online? Uh, I'm on Twitter and GitHub. (laughs) If you you search for Andy Burke, uh, and engineer or developer or something like that, I'm sure that you can, you can find me. Okay. Still being a little quiet about the startup then. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I think we're super excited and we want to go quickly, but, uh, you know, I didn't clear a ton of this with my co-founder <laughs> before yeah. we you know, agreed to this. So, uh, I don't want to say anything that, that he wouldn't be okay with. Um, fair, fair enough. Well, perfect. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Well, all right, folks, that's it for today. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me next time for junior to senior. If you've enjoyed the show and you want to get more involved with like-minded devs focused on their career, head on over to community.juniortosenior.io. I'll also put that in the show notes and you can get more information about joining our private community. Thanks, everyone.